Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Higher Branch where we continue the series on the seven S's to help you take conscious control of your health, your happiness and your immunity. And this series now has been going on for a few episodes and before I announce what we're covering today, I'll recap by saying for those of you that are new to this podcast and new to the series, the seven S's are sustenance, sleep, strength, sunshine, socializing, stress, and starvation. Not in that order, because we did cover starvation after sustenance. Now, sustenance is food. Starvation is fasting. I don't like using the label fasting because it's so technical, whereas our ancestors just naturally starved. And we talked about those natural ebbs and flows of going without and then eating. And we talked about sleep. We've also covered and touched on a few different elements out of those seven S's as we've gone along because they're all interrelated. You can't just segment your life into, okay, I've got to get my sleep right and then stuff up your sustenance, right? Everything in harmony and everything working together. And if you want to operate at what athletes call peak performance, you really have to be in control of these seven S's. And so on that note, I welcome back my guest who has been on this journey with me, enlightening us with all things S's. That's Dr. Scott Wustenberg. Indeed. Hi, Sam. So Dr. Scott is the principal of Advanced Rehab up in Brisbane. He is an expert in all things health and wellness, I guess. Well, you're an avid researcher. I love it. But you're a teacher in nutrition and chiropractic neurology. You have a master's in nutrition medicine and you're not your average health practitioner, right? You tend to be more proactive and you work on the bio-individuality of your patients. Everyone is a single being. They are designed for their own best survival and we can't teach or treat rather people as a glop, as the same as everyone else. So the idea is to look at you and go, what makes Sam the best Sam? And how do we help him learn to be the best version of himself? Connect with the world, decrease stress, decrease the threat response in the body so that you can optimize your life. And there's so many parts to that. Being social, being connected, eating well, sleeping well, breathing well and maintaining your strength, maintaining your body's capacity to tolerate the environment. And it's quite underlooked in our environment these days. Absolutely. So today we are going to cover strength, aren't we? And all the research shows that it's strong people that live the longest, not the fittest, right? There is. Yep. So movement is misunderstood. There's strength, stability, balance, flexibility, aerobic fitness, right? But strength stands out, doesn't it? It does. And if we just look at it from the the perspective of what strength entails as a concept, not just as the body, I can lift 50 kilos or 100 kilos or something like that, but strength also denotes resilience and the ability to push back and tolerate things. Yep. And so there's a big mind-body interface with strength. It's how tolerant is my mind 
with the capacity of suffering because I know I'm going to get through this. And that drives the body's capacity to keep pushing to get through things. And that I think is part and parcel of why people are long-lived from being uh, strong. So we're not just talking about body strong. No. We're talking about mind strong. Mind strong. One of the most basic pieces of research that I really resonated with is when we talk about starting an exercise program. So we're going to lift some weights and we're going to try and lift 50 kilos in a dumbbell curl, right? Yep. The first two weeks of every weight shift, so we go from lifting 10 kilos to lifting 15 kilos to lifting 20 kilos, the first two weeks that you gain strength is actually efficiency of neural recruitment. You gain no muscle. You get no hypertrophy. It takes two weeks before the hypertrophy kicks in. That's why people who keep lifting and keep lifting and get stronger and they keep shunting their weights up eventually reach a point where they don't actually have the neurocognitive capacity to drive the nervous system and they break something because there's not enough backfill. So you have to take a slow and steady approach. You have to build and maintain and build and maintain to actually get stronger. And that is the process of the nervous system creates efficiencies, tells your muscle how to make that lift work better, and then another part of the nervous system goes, right, repair an immune system, you've got to make that better now. I tore all those muscle fibers, make it bigger. Because that stress, that strength work that you're generating is a hormetic poison for the body. You broke stuff, you now have to rebuild it better. So when you say you broke stuff, you've lifted something yes. that is heavy Yep. to the point where you haven't injured but you've micro-tore. Micro-tore some muscles. Correct. And that's that point where you fatigue and you just can't lift anymore, right? But some of that fatigue point is purely fun. my brain cannot generate the force needed to do that without actually... Yeah, I mean, we have a switch in the brain that kicks on a little bit earlier than what our body... Yes, you know, it's tolerate. protective. I think it was Goggins, which he calls it the 40% rule. So he said... When your mind gives up your 40% of your capacity, you've got a whole heap of 60% on the other side, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why connectedness and yeah. socialization is so important because a training partner will encourage you to try and push past that, oh, that's enough spot, so that you start eating into some more of that 60% reserve capacity. Yep. So yep. training by yourself can sometimes not be as efficient as training with someone else who's more encouraging and can help Absolutely. you get, get the best Absolutely. out of it. So why is it important to be strong? Ooh, that's a big open-ended question, isn't it? Yeah, well, I um, mean, it, it is one of the seven S's, <laughs> and based on research, it is an important part of our well-being. Right? Absolutely. So again, as I speak to it, I think strength helps us have that mind-body connectedness that creates confidence in us. It allows us to interact with our environment without feeling threat to the same degree. People okay. who are physically weak tend to have a greater tendency towards anxiety. Fear response. Correct. Which is a stress. It's a stress. Flight. Yeah. So yeah. that then has negative consequences because you release a large amount of adrenaline and cortisol, which are catabolic. Which is why we're talking about strength also coupled with uh, stress management. Correct. We're going to talk about stress. But the two go hand in hand, don't they? They do. Yeah. They absolutely A lot of people do. think that strength is for the body. Yes. But it's secondary, isn't it? I think so. It's for the mind. Yes, it is the mind. And it's how your mind 
frames you in relationship to the environment. So if you look at something and go, I got this, yeah. I can do X, or I don't have to worry about that person who's coming towards me because I'm in control of my environment, our fear response doesn't act up. And again, excessive uncontrolled fear response drives catabolism. It breaks down our tissue. It breaks down our bone structure. It breaks down our muscle structure when it becomes chronic. Yes. It's chronicity. A little bit of stress, a little bit of threat, a little bit of pulling on that thing to damage your tissue. Really good for us. It drives us to adapt. It drives us to overcome. It drives us to get bigger and better and more creative without breaking. And it drives learning and adaptation without putting ourselves under load, without competing even. We don't learn our capacities. And I think the purpose of competing, I really like competing. I think our current society has undervalued it to a large degree. We started with what I call the Weepix generation, where everyone got a medal for turning up. And I don't support that. And I'm not very PC anymore because I don't support it. I think we actually need to be differentiating someone who put more effort in than someone who put no effort in because that has a very different response on people's nervous system. Now, again, there's probably people with handicaps and other stuff where they really need a medal for encouragement, but it should be a different reward or award than the person who actually pushed to get that number one spot, lift the most, run the furthest, whatever it it might be. And our society has become so hell-bent on not harming people's mental health that I think we're actually harming people's mental health. We're taking away their resilience, which is the strength response. It's, I got this. I'm going to make it through no matter what, whether it's physically or mentally or both. And so, again, that strength aspect allows us to keep pushing further in life as against shrinking. And the shrinking is the part that's associated with shorter lifespan, both physically and mentally. People die literally because they give up on life. That's enough. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And their bodies break down. And again, everything I do is to help people live better, more purposeful lives in a greater capacity from what they were the day before. And The idea of allowing people to shrink, to lose tone, because again, there's a whole bunch of really cool research around the interconnectedness of cells in the brain and cells in the body, okay? So the recruitment of your muscle cells, all of that, when we lift the weight or run or whatever, it ends up connecting to cells in the brain. If you don't use this, you don't use this. And when your brain shrinks, so for those of you listening to the podcast, <laughs> Sorry. Scott's pointing to his, his brain. Head. So, and it's so true because the, the more you move, the smarter you are. Yes, that's, yes. that's absolutely it. Yeah. So if you don't move your muscles and keep stimulating blood circulation through it, the connected portion in the brain also doesn't get stimulated. And these are a network that requires a game of patty cake. They pat one another to keep this muscle nerve and this brain nerve connected. So when we lose tone in our muscles, we're losing brain cells. And the more chronic that becomes, the more your brain shrinks. And so 
literally when people don't exercise and refuse like again my most hated thing is this concept of uh kind of god's waiting room in in old folks home and geriatric departments where they just stick people in a lazy boy armchair sort of thing and stare them at the computer screen or the tv screen and they don't move them and they just sit there for hours on end and what that does is it diminishes their brain capacity because their body capacity is also diminished they are losing tone they're losing connectedness now the problem is is that the brain doesn't want to kill any of those cells so repurpose some of those cells and the repurposing can be for things like pain because we generate pain very efficiently and it keeps the cell alive so sometimes chronic pain syndromes can be because we're not moving enough not because we've got an injury but because the lack of movement creates an injury in the brain and this is a pain loop wind up that's why they say movement is medicine absolutely so the epitypes, the genetics, have some other factors in there. And one of the things that we look for when we're running DNA profiles is we look at, like in my instance, for my heart health epitype, I need to be doing 75% of my exercise from cardio, from cycling, from running, from etc. And as it turns out, when I ran tests on myself, I actually found that the amount of strength work I was doing was actually creating havoc for me. It was increasing oxidative stress. And I've had to learn to back off. Whereas you, you've got the exact opposite to that. So you needed more actual muscle movement rather than purely heart movement. Oh, okay. I actually forgot that, but okay. So this goes back to our first episode when we're talking about nutrition and how eating according to your genotype is so important. So the same goes for your exercise. Moving for your genotype is super important. Now, everyone needs some strength work and everyone needs some cardio because you've got to have those systems working. You have to be able to have enough strength to move your body around the planet. You have to have a good enough cardiovascular system to move you around the planet. They, They integrate. So we can't have one over the other it's just some body types still require more of one and less of the other and vice versa there's also genes that suggest whether you're going to put on muscle quickly or not whether it's fast twitch or not whether you open up your blood vessels quickly or not and all of that will have an effect on your strength and your resilience and again ultimately how you frame yourself in existence to what's pushing you in the world. Okay, so my next question was gonna be what type of strength exercises could, should we do? Because you know, people are listening and thinking, okay, well, what, what do I do? Do I do right. push-ups, do I go to the gym, lift weights? Do I walk? Well, do I climb the stairs? I all want of people those. to know that strength isn't just lifting weights, no. right? No, it's not. Even walking, you're strengthening. Yes, but walking is something we do very efficiently. And we've been doing it since you were one year of age, so to speak. So the absolute benefit from a steady walk tops out more quickly than potentially from going to the gym and lifting a weight or going and doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu or going and doing a spin bike class. You pick your thing. So I love walking and I do it multiple times a week and I take my dog out and it's social and I'm with my wife and I'm out in nature and there's all sorts of benefits to that. But not all of it is purely to strengthen me more of it is to actually wind me down yeah so that's a different type so what we're talking about when it comes to strength is stressing the muscle correct correct right and so again it will depend on your genotyping to some degree but my answer to it is all if you love it then you should try doing it 
So it's whatever you love. It's whatever you love. It's what. <laughs> it's also the things that you don't love because some people really hate lifting weights, right? They hate going to the gym and they probably need that. So maybe doing calisthenics or press-ups. Like, I love body-weighted exercise. I love the idea. I think exercise needs to be purposeful, okay? I don't love lifting weights as much as lots of other practitioners. Yeah, because you're not, you're it's not, not achieving anything. It's not purposeful. Good exactly. It's purposeful, right? Correct. Yeah. But one of the easiest ways of imagining it is the purpose of strength is survival, which is one of my overriding principles for all these seven S's. If you fall off a cliff, do you have enough actual power and strength in your body to grab that tree root and haul yourself back up the cliff, right? Yep. So, yeah, I can do a 50 kilo dumbbell curl. I can squat 100 kilos. Yes, can you lift your body back up the cliff? If yep. you can't, now, I know in a stress situation, because we've all read the stories and the articles on the person got trapped and then the mother comes and picks the car off the child, etc. Yeah. That's a different sort of strength because it's not a consistent thing. It's powered by raw stress and all the power that adrenaline will give someone for a very short burst of time. Yep. And we can do superhuman things. What I'm interested in is getting you to be stronger so that your survival is guaranteed. So that if you did have that fall or that thing fell, can you lift yes. that thing off you? Can you climb up? the tree, can you climb the rope, etc. It's purposeful so you, activity. So you prefer them body weight exercises? I think that's the greatest idea. And then, okay, well, once we're really good at body weight exercise, maybe I've got to stick a, a weight vest on or, you know, take a backpack with a 20 kilo plate. It's keeping the stimulus rising. Once you've reached a, a plateau, you've got to keep pushing a little bit and keep pushing a little bit because the body adapts. And that's been one of the great statements right the way through our, our series is that everything we do after a period of time, your brain learns and it adapts to it. And then it's its state of normal. You get your hypertrophy, you build your background to it. And that takes a while. And then once mm. you get good at it, your brain will get bored if you don't change it. Yes. So you have yes. to add a little bit more stimulus. You have to like do that thing hopping on one foot rather than on two feet or climb the stairs blindfold to see how you can... That's, that's the essence of a higher brand. It's about reaching for that next branch because the human spirit thrives on progress. Yes. And we've got to always reach for the next level, whether it's in our relationships or in business or in the gym yes. or in the park. I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it. It's adaptation to your best, highest achievement. Yep. yep. So the idea with strength work, be it you know, running stairs. And that's one of the ones I don't enjoy, I have to be honest. Because although my body type says I need more cardio work, my body type also is a slow twitch, takes a while to warm up, and doesn't enjoy sprinting and sudden changes in, in heart rate. It likes a diesel, <laughs> slow burn. So <laughs> those are things. How did you discover what your body likes? And well, how can people that are listening discover that? Again, the first thing I did was I ran the DNA profile that I use and practice with my patients. And it's got specific key elements that talk about things like your cardiovascular health. Do you need more strength work? Do you need yep. more cardio work? There are then other SNPs or gene codes for how quickly you open up your blood vessels. Are you a fast opener to get blood around your system, which sprinters will be? 
Yes. I am not a sprinter. I'm a diesel engine. So we look through these codes and then we go, right, well, what would you like to do given these restraints? Turning you into Usain Bolt is probably not going to be great. You want to do it, go to it, but please just don't be disappointed if you can't run yeah, under... It's, it's not in your genes. It, it's not in the genes. And that was one of the things that I learned about myself is back at eight, nine years of age at primary school, sprinting and in the pool, those 25-meter sprint races, freestyle, are the, the king element. And I was always in the top grouping. And by 13, with sexual development and testosterone hitting the system, I wasn't. And I was still trying to go as hard. And the way our societies kind of designate from athletics sprinting is it whereas a 5k race isn't anything as exciting it doesn't get all the glamour right so i actually thought i was a problem i had the issue because i couldn't run as fast as the other people because they don't talk about the fact that actually there's many different body types and that's perfectly natural and it's only going to show up we're all kind of the same at about eight we're all kind of a blob with development yet to occur and the genes get turned on yeah yeah when puberty really hits in and that's around 13 for most people that's when you notice people grow at different absolutely yep so i suddenly found that i could do a great sprint at the end of a 5k cross-country race but i couldn't perform in a 100 meter dash anyway yes yeah. So can exercise be bad for you then, or strength training, can that be bad for you if you're doing the wrong thing for your genotype? Ultimately, the answer is yes. So we run mm. some other tests. One's called a pulse test, and it looks at things like foam cells and inflammatory markers, and it looks for, are you damaging your blood vessels, and therefore, how likely are you to have a heart attack in five years? So it gives you a score, and we can redo that every few years and go, have we got you going in the right direction? Have we not got you going in the right direction? So this is one of the things I ran and I learned that I had to back off and I've done a lot more walking and I downshifted because I'm very alpha type, go, 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 go. And mm. it wasn't doing my system that much good. Because that's an important point to make for a lot of people because there's a lot of people getting injured yes. doing the wrong strength style training so know thyself is super important again (laughs) it's a great lesson yes yes and if you listen to the first episode in this series on nutrition we spoke a lot about genotype and knowing what your dna looks like you know what are your strengths what are your weaknesses and it's super important to know these things and i'm hoping that medicine will get to the point where that's a standard test now it's not a standard test at the moment, but you can do it with doctors like Scott, who you do that yes. as one of your protocols. It's right? one of my favorite things to do. You can tell huge amounts about people and you can arm them with knowledge about how they actually perform. Now, most people will operate successfully without real damage for a short period of time. So yes. if you're doing the, the wrong exercise for your absolute genotype, your body's tolerant for a period of time. Okay. The longer you go at it, the more oxidative stress, the more potential damage. And this is kind of why we're trying to get them early or late for that matter. And we want to try and arm them with knowledge about themselves so that the point of a geno test, the point of the pulse test, the point of all the protocols that I run on people is to go, where are you at this moment in time? Is it the best direction for you? Could we be doing better? Will that help you live more fruitfully so that the quality of your life as well as the quantity mesh to give you a great outcome? Not, oh, 
well, you're 94. Yes, you drool a bit, but don't worry about that. That's great. You're 94. A cricket score isn't that useful if all you're doing is having your chin wiped, right? Yes. yes. We want to help you have this awesome brain. And again, the link to the body. If your muscles are poor, your brain will be poor. If you're doing the wrong exercise activities that damage things, you're going to end up having damage occur in other places that you're not aware of. So Absolutely. it's Very not just, point. oh, look, my knee is bad. That knee has control factors in the cerebellum and in the hemispheres that link to it. And so we're trying not just to keep the joints and the muscles working well, we're always focusing back on keeping the brain happy. Right. And driving resilience. So then I want to talk about how much exercise do you do and when do you do it? What time of the day? Is there a correlation with chronotypes? I mean, obviously, people have restrictions based on their job. Yes. How much exercise do you do? How often? And what time of the day should you do it? So again, some of these things get answered by the genotyping test. We have codes in there that suggest the minimum amount people should be doing. And the consensus is it's around eight METs or eight metabolic equivalent units of moderate intensity exercise, which is an absolute mouthful. So it, it what rough, is a MET? Because you told met, me I've got yeah. to do 12 a week. Yeah, yeah. So a MET is approximately mm. one hour of moderate intensity exercise for you. Approximately. A week? Per, so wow. yeah, if you have to do 12 METs, to 12 hours about 12 hours so some of the engine <laughs> <laughs> so you don't do it as much at that moment yeah. and it's always done to tolerance and sensibility at that moment yeah. yep. and it's a give and take sort of scenario it means that you have to do potentially less units of more intense exercise or more units of incidental exercise like you walk more Walking. Yep. okay now the answer to how much should you do is some because if i say oh my goodness you need to be doing 12 hours that could be really daunting for someone okay so any and some and being out there and doing something is the most important thing would i like 20 minutes a day you bet i would would 40 minutes be better for some people it will their phenotypes will also tell us how well they recover from stress what's the difference between a phenotype and a genotype ultimately not a, a huge amount i use the words probably inappropriately slightly interchangeably the phenotype is a collection of how things come together. The genotype is more referencing a gene at that okay. moment. Do you have X yep. gene or Y gene? And it doesn't ultimately make a great deal of difference unless you're talking in a really scientific genetic conference at that moment in time. Okay. I've heard there's a correlation between grip strength Absolutely. and longevity. What's that? Because that's about strength again. And how do you develop grip strength? Well, how you develop grip strength is picking stuff up and carrying it to the largest degree. And it's using your arms and using your brain to actually lift things. And it's also a direct output of the cerebellum and the capacity to recruit and control your muscles. So low grip strength, low tone, and you can feel this when you shake people's hands mm. and they have this weak handshake. And it's the output from their brain. And that is... The correlation, I believe, is that if you have a weak output coming from your brainstem yep. and your cerebellum, you are not controlling yourself well, and that puts you at threat. Wow, okay. There's a bunch of stuff in behind it where they're, they're doing the measurement, and they don't specifically say exactly what I... That's my yeah. interpretation of it, but it's well correlated that 
the stronger those grips are. But it's not just grip here. That's also toned down to your feet. The ability to run. Yes. Because what happens if you can't run away from something? That's right. No survival. <laughs> so it's part of that survival. It is. Mechanism. Everything. Yeah. So strength is survival. Correct. Absolutely. Low strength. Low survivability. Low, low resilience. Yeah. And that puts the mind under stress, right? You fight or flight. You stay anxious if you cannot run away or fight back. So it's one of the reasons why I recommend things like jiu-jitsu, judo, boxing for people. I actually think martial arts are essential for people. And I use it as a therapy for women who've had trauma in the past. Mm. There's nothing quite so relaxing as choking someone. Again, it's in a controlled environment. Or punching someone. Absolutely. And the reason why is your capacity for violence when constrained, your choice to not punch something... Your capacity to defend yourself increases your brain's integration and it decreases your threat response. I'm okay because if I got pounced upon, I should be able to defend myself. It's not punching someone. It's not choking someone. It's not committing violence. It's that if it occurred... I have the strength. I might be able to survive it. And so people calm down from their anxiety as their brains start going, I got this. And I notice when I go through periods where I go to the gym a lot, yep. do a lot of strength training, you do notice your confidence. It goes up. And you feel less stressed and you feel more on top of things. So there's a whole yeah. bunch of really cool work done on muscle patterns and they talk about double cross and rounding forwards. From a psychological point of view, those body patterns the more rounded forward you are, the more head forward you are. This is defensive posturing. Yeah. Okay? So head forward, fists in front of your face, you're preparing to defend yourself. Yeah. So the more extensive chain activity that you do, the back muscles, back muscles. the lats, etc., triceps, the more upright you are, the more easily you can breathe, the more your head is up and can see into the distance, the less stressed you become. Wow. So if you're suffering from stress... Strength training, yes, especially on posterior. The posterior chain, correct, will help you actually just neutralize stress without even trying. Unfortunately, one of the things that I find, and, and I, I pointed out in this way, this is meditation how I optional. It. <laughs> boys like boobies, right? Mm-hmm. We like them on girls. We like them on boys. We don't care. And boys going to the gym tend to focus on those things that they can see. They can see their big chest muscles and their biceps, yeah, and we right. we start doing these big things here but they are flexitone muscles and the more you overdevelop your flexitone the more threat response your brain believes you're under yep so extension extension is key okay okay love it so you mentioned earlier 20 minutes yes so 20 minutes drives neuroplasticity and there's a sweet spot of about 20 to 24 minutes that is enough stimulus to get brain development without overcooking yourself that's doable. Yeah. That's achievable. Yeah, right? absolutely. So what do you do in that 20 minutes? What you, if someone's listening now and they want to feel that sense of strength and resilience and confidence, and what are the exercises that you would recommend that everyone should do? Right. Male, female, old, young. Yeah. So the simplest thing would be to spend 20, 30 minutes in the park, walking around the park where they have those exercise stations and you do a loop of the park 
and then you do some squats and then you do a loop of the park and you do some push-ups and then yep. you do a loop of the park and pull-ups yeah exactly yep. so you're doing practical muscle tone especially things that drive you into that extensor tone now one of my favorite sets of exercises that people can send in and ask for are glute clams now they're not something that is practical to do in the park but yeah. they're something i consider imperative and it's a 20 minute exercise block and it hurts but it's essential for holding your hips in the right place and standing you upright. And when your hips work properly, everything feels better, Is that doesn't a PDF it? that you have? Yep, we've got a PDF of how to do those exercises so we can we'll send that out. We'll put a link in the description. Absolutely. Yeah. Clams are super important and they're not done the same way that most physios give these things out, which are open and close, open and close. They are hold for a minute and it burns, but it's a good burn. And when you stand up afterwards, you go, wow. I'm tall, my butt feels good. And it I'm turns being held up, I'm yeah, being yeah, supported. Absolutely. So again, you do 20 minutes of that and that seems to be the link where your brain goes, I got this and you repeat and you repeat. I'm glad you mentioned those glute exercises. You, you mentioned them to me yesterday. You yes. showed them to me, the five, because a lot of people listening, almost everyone, unless you're a landscaper, <laughs> right? or a tile or a plumber, or whatever, yep. you're sitting and the glutes just switch off. They so do. And if your glutes switch off, then the biomechanics of all your movement is dysfunctional. Correct. And you could be going to the gym, but you're yep. actually hurting some tissue whilst building other. Correct. I think the glute and the core are probably, you know, those two exercises that a lot of people should focus on. Now, you say core less so, don't you? I do. I think the first place to be focusing on is pelvic stability, glutes, lower transverse abdominis, and then starting to build tone into the core. I actually think that traditionally we've actually had a lot more flexible core than has become really fashionable since like uh, the bodybuilding okay. age. Yeah. I think having this really tight held core and look how Godonis-like I am actually makes it hard for you to breathe because you're holding yeah. everything tight and yeah. you're meant to have this flowing, flexing diaphragm. It's meant to be strong in a functional movement pattern, but it's not meant to be rock solid it's great to look rock solid and ripped all over. I'm not dissing the look of it, but if I'm holding all the time, I can't. And then I start yeah. to use my upper traps. I start using my SEMs. I choking, use choking off proper. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, my brother-in-law, who's a Wing Chun master, I guess yes. you call him, he, he said the same thing. He goes, this has got to be relaxed because yeah. when he sits, he just flops. Yeah. But he actually walks around. It's very floppy. But if someone... <laughs> throws a punch he has control bang 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 yeah. and it's like where did all that strength comes from but he's actually quite well it, it comes from his brain so he's and breathing it, yeah. naturally he's not tense so i'm glad you called that one out yeah so glutes the posterior chain in your back muscles correct right well the glutes are part of the posterior they chain, are but, yeah. but the ones that i'm trying to focus on is not glute max Yes. Okay, everyone thinks about the bubble butt, so bubble, to speak. Yeah. We're looking at these very small glute med glute men on the sides that control the hip position. And as it turns out, that will alter where your pelvis sits, whether it's upright, anterior rotated, posterior rotation, right. and whether we get symptoms of overtight low back muscles and achiness and things like that. We find that when those glute med type muscles are switched off, your hamstrings will tighten up because they're trying to control the movement. And so lots of people are running around with yeah. tight hamstrings and they're busily going, oh, but I stretch every day. And I'm like, that's great. 
<laughs> are your hips strong? <laughs> yes, yes, no. No, they're not strong. Well, yeah. that's why. And yes. I don't recommend a lot of stretching for people. I recommend strength work and control. You need to control the joint to make it work properly. When you take control away by making it flopsy because you stretched everything like kind of putty, you don't know where the joint is. Yes. And then you risk injuring it. And further to what you were saying about seating, the most dangerous thing we've done to ourselves is we've flattened everything out in the world. It's all concrete. It's all flat. You're not allowed to have ups and downs. So the hips, the muscles we're talking about are lateral stabilizers that mm. helped us on uneven surfaces and they were activated by all these gyrations of the yes, pelvis. Yes. Well, now what we do is we walk in a straight line or cycle in a straight line really quickly and we don't use our lateral hip stabilizers. What do you think of cycling? I love cycling. It's one of my favorite sports. It's absolutely terrible for us. Is it really? Yeah, it's absolutely horrendous. It's super efficient and you get the best position it's all about symmetry yeah so if you ever looked at a professional cyclist butt they have those big scalloped kind of cutouts in the yeah, sides of their right butt there, yep. that's a glute meat and glute min switched off because they don't use it what are they using then Just well they're the using cars, hamstring car all the all the yep. straight line front to back muscles they're super fit they're super efficient they can thrash me you know yep. i used to be a semi-professional cyclist yes yes so i love it but it's not all that good for us, and it's positions that drive us into threat response. There's nothing about that position that's not rounding down and forward, curving ourselves, trying to get our back down and slammed. All of this posturing drives you into threat response. Yep, wow. The incredible body and how we've complicated things for it, but it's actually quite simple, even though it is complex. You wanna hear my thoughts on running? Yes, please. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, you're talking to a runner, long distance runner for many years. So what's running good for? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What is running good for? Well, running is an it's efficient means of exactly that. Right? that. That's fleeing? it. So, so do we need to train you to be more wound into a fight flight response? Is that useful to you? No, because you're fleeing from prey. And so your mind is thinking that you're actually under threat. Correct. So should we be uh, walking backwards? <laughs> walking backwards is awesome for us. I, I kid was you joking. No, 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 no. It is good for No, me, it's okay. really good for us. And we have people walk backwards with these open-armed really? movements like backstroke. Yeah, yeah. And it's to dewind your system. But it's, it's hard to do. And so you have to do these things in a safe environment. But again, for someone who's really anxious, really under threat, who's never run, the running might be a useful thing like boxing, like martial arts, yeah. to bring them into a strong happy yes. place to be but for someone who's under stress and runs it can actually be reinforcing and looping them in and making more of these stress response hormones because again running is an anterior tilt falling over forwards with all of your anterior chain being activated wow so yeah i guess on that point really there is that stress and strength are so interconnected. But I hope uh, everyone has learnt something from the S, and that is uh, strength. And again, as we've covered in previous podcast episodes on the seven S's, comes back to your genotype. What's right for you? Don't fall for any fads. One, you could hurt yourself. Two, you could actually be doing the opposite of what you're trying to achieve, especially if you're looking for stress release or stress management. 
So before we go, uh, Scott, where can people find you if they want to reach out? So they can... It's the website. The website is uh, www.advancedrehab.com.au or optimallife.com.au. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming in, Scott, and joining me on this. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I hope everyone in our community is getting a lot of information out of this. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A Higher Branch. And as always, my friends, don't forget to live consciously. Bye for now.